This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. And on the program today, I want you all to learn about a great nonprofit operated in our community that is doing great work for people that you probably look past when you're driving in your car, when you're walking down the street, when you're going shopping, when you're doing any number of things. Our guest is Margaret Stagmeyer. She is the, she's a veteran of property and real estate management. She's the president of her own company, TI Asset Management, which is an Atlanta-based independent asset management and advisory firm. And we'll ask her exactly what all of that means, because that was very much business speak. But, uh, but we're really here to talk about this great nonprofit that she's working with. And I know you as Margie. So hi. hi. Welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. I am happy. I told you when we uh, first had that conversation that you and your work needed to have more people knowing about it. So, Margie, first of all, professionally, business-wise, in simple speak, you do what for a living? I play Monopoly. I'm a <laughs> landlord. I buy and sell commercial and apartment properties. But what really gives you joy and is filling your heart these days is your nonprofit. And I want you to tell our audience about that. Well, my nonprofit is Star C, and it was a groundswell out of a need I saw in the community. I like to buy blighted workforce housing apartment communities. And over time, as I would renovate these properties and turn them around with the mindset to keep my rents affordable for people living at the poverty line, what I found is these communities have had a greater impact on the local school. So we started partnering with the local school to make sure that our properties had after-school programs. And through our after-school programs, we've actually been able to see a lot of success in the school's performance. Some of our properties have even been able to work with the school and have the school become a Title I school of distinction. Outstanding. Now, these properties where you're able to do this work, what neighborhoods are we talking about around Atlanta? The distressed neighborhoods, the outer neighborhoods, Clarkston, certain neighborhoods in Cobb County, um, in the city, South Atlanta. We are starting to target to purchase properties, blighted properties, around some of the failing elementary schools, mainly in South and Southwest Atlanta. Why are you doing this? Because I think I need to give back to the community, and it's a model I'm very familiar with. It's actually can do it for profit in a profitable model, and it's just a pleasure to see so many of these schools have success. And finally, I'm a product of DeKalb County public school system. I grew up in Atlanta, and this is my give back. Now, I know that um, that you've been doing this for a while and that you really get joy out of seeing people turn their lives around and achieve. How are you able to find the organizations that can bring the programs into these apartment complexes that you own so that you can see the improvement in these kids going to schools? Well, we can partner with a number of agencies, but mainly we started our own nonprofit called Star C. And Star C runs the after-school program. It runs the wellness program that typically partners with the federally qualified health clinic to make sure all of our residents have affordable medical options. And then we have gardening programs. So those are the three core programs that we offer at our properties. From there, we can partner with the YMCA to do swim lessons, or we can partner with other nonprofits to do feeding programs or to have a pantry, food pantry. 
there are many, many nonprofits that we can partner with because we are, in fact, the community. Um, my largest community had over 1,000 residents. So as you can imagine, there was great need for all the community services. When you rolled this out to this one particular community, how was it received by your residents? Very well. It was a beautiful thing, Condence, because through the after-school program, 100% of our children passed the um, CRC test, which is now the Georgia Milestones. Mm -hmm. But a lot of our residents are single moms. So through the after-school program, their children became friends. They started becoming friends. If one of their child, you know, uh, if they were running late at work, they'd call their friend who'd take their child to their house. Because the apartments are right there and they're living on site, it just evolved into this beautiful community model where everyone became friends, pretty much. Do you see that others are seeing what you're doing and are able to or asking you, hey, how can I duplicate this in the community where I serve? Well, as a matter of fact, we have a community breakfast. It's the last Thursday of every month at the Atlanta Community Food Bank, and we are encouraging young landlords to come and see our business model to sort of learn how we have created a non uh, created a for-profit model that they can use to go back to their own apartment communities and help, hopefully, to help turn the schools around. Now, this couldn't have just worked perfectly the first time you rolled it out. Talk to us about some of the challenges that you experienced in developing Star C, getting the programs together, creating these communities in these properties that you own, and how you were able to overcome them. Well, number one, you can't expect all your residents to participate. It's all voluntary, and it's all free, but not necessarily all your residents are going to participate. So that's one of our challenges, is to get the buy-in. Um, our second challenge is not the principals at the local elementary school, not all of them want to participate. So Why not? I mean, well, you're, you're offering a service at no charge that's going to help them raise the quality of the education that they're providing their students. Well, we're competing because a lot of them get federal grants for their after-school programs. So I would say overall most of the principals have worked with us, but sometimes that's a challenge. And then finally, um, when we partner with the federally qualified health clinic, it just takes time to get our residents comfortable with that process. Um, and we've been told if a resident uses the federally qualified health clinic for more than two times, it becomes their medical home, and they no longer go to the emergency room. But that behavior just takes time. Who communicates these messages to your residents and helps to get that buy-in? It's Starcy. It's our on-site wellness program manager, and it's the property manager who manages the property. And these are all folks who work for you? Correct. Tell me how you go about recruiting the right candidates to lead the program in the communities and to manage the program in the properties so that when they go knocking on the doors of your residents, more residents than not will be open to the benefits you're working to provide for them. Condits, that's one of the beautiful things about our Atlanta community is there is no shortage of volunteers. We have an abundance of volunteers that come to Star C. For example, our property in Clarkston, we, are, we have an after-school program. That program averaged over 18,000 volunteer hours last year. Um, we're gearing up for our summer. Uh, in the month of March, we had over 1,100 volunteer hours just for 62 children in that program. So we, there is no shortage of people wanting to volunteer for us, wanting to work with us. That's never been our problem. Tell us about the summer program. What kind of activities will be involved? Well, we're actually designing that right now. Um, we're hopeful to get some Braves tickets. We want to take 
the children to see a Braves games because many of them have never really been outside their community. Um, we're getting swim instructors. We're going to have um, swim lessons so we can teach the kids how to swim. Uh, we're anticipating we'll probably average about 10 volunteers a day. So we'll do a summer reading program with the children. These particular children in Clarkston are not necessarily fluent in English and in our culture. So we're going to pay particular attention to help get their English and language skills improved. And we do games, uh, study. We, we learn about various countries and aspects of our culture. We're thinking about trying to get a bank to come in and do financial literacy because you never are too young to learn these type of issues, how to manage your money. That's something that would be great for the parents as well. Absolutely. So we may invite the parents to uh, join us. How much time do you get to spend actually on site at your various properties seeing this this dream, this vision of yours in action and, and being put into place? I probably average two to four hours a week. Uh, I try to go to the properties as much as I can, and me and my husband try to volunteer several times a year. But yeah, we're, we're very active in the day-to-day management of these properties, and we're on site quite often. So when you were a woman in your 20s and your 30s and you were working in, in, in your career, not that you're not working now because I know that you are, but when you dreamed about what you were going to do, as you say, to give back, did you know that this was what it was going to be? No, I didn't. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be a landlord ever since I was a child in DeKalb County Public School. I was the Monopoly champion at Hambrick Elementary when I was in the sixth grade. So I always knew I wanted a career in real estate. And I've been on the board of the Atlanta Community Food Bank for years. So to me, this is kind of a combination of my two loves, giving back to the community and being a landlord. I think it's so funny how you call yourself a landlord, because that's a word that doesn't necessarily always have the most positive connotation. But I'm thinking if I were living in one of your units, it would be a great place to be. Well, I would hope so. I mean, we try to take very good care of our properties and, and be good community stewards, because to me, it's an honor. You know, a landlord actually plays a, a big role in someone's life, especially when they live in an apartment, and we always want to be ethical and do a good job for our residents. So does it upset you when you see on the local television news from time to time, especially in the city of Atlanta, where the city is having to go back and go after landlords who own blighted properties, as you describe them, and just aren't taking care of them or taking care of the residents? It bothers me tremendously. And as a matter of fact, I walked a property in January, and it was 22 degrees outside, It was the last day of the Christmas break for the children. And as we walked through this terrible, blighted community, we were um, concerned with how many residents lived in apartments with no heat. And we saw dozens of children living in a community that had no heat. So that bothers me tremendously. What should be done to those folks who don't don't treat their, their communities as well as you treat yours? Well, I can't say it on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I know you got very I, I d- strong feelings about it then, I, right? I, I do have strong feelings about that. And, and I do think that um, I know the city of Atlanta is looking at alternatives to try to work with some of these blighted apartment communities because they do have a tremendous impact on the education on the, on the local school. And that's concerning as well to me. Yeah, because it really could be about so much more than just the money. Right. Well, and I'm a proponent that there is affordable housing in our community. We just need to have a very good business model to buy these blighted apartments, turn them around. You can do it in a way that keeps the rent affordable and then partner with the school so that the school wins as well. 
sounds like a model that you need to be in charge of definitely. If folks want to volunteer and be a part of your summer program, and I know you say you're, you've got no shortage of them, but there are always people with good hearts, good minds who want to reach out and do something, and this may speak to them just as it has spoken to you. How do they go about contacting you? www.star-c.org, and that's our website. So you can just contact us through the website. Margie Stagmeyer, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. From time to time, we like to stop down and check in on the progress of activities going on with the Atlanta Beltline. Joining us right now is Cicely Garrett. She's with the Atlanta Community Food Bank, and they have been working with the Beltline. I think you guys had like a a great event recently. Welcome to the show, and and tell us about what happened. We did have a wonderful event last Saturday. Um, It was the second um, time for the Beltline Jamboree. We also participated the first year of the Jamboree, and I think it's really growing to be a great event. Um, You can tell the growth from the first year to the second year. Um, It's a great celebration of what's to come on the West Side Beltline, um, as well as, you know, introduce some people who may not be familiar with Washington Park, about how great the park is. Um, I'm a little bit biased myself because I live in Washington Park, so I've always thought it was a great park. Um, But it's been a really good partnership. Um, We switched up the format a little bit this year. Um, Last year, we tried to do like a mini sort of farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like it would be a better climate for the people coming because there were some giveaways and other stuff for us to make it more of a giveaway and per promote some of the local urban agriculture and the farmer's markets over on the west side, um, as well as some places to eat so people could know like some of the great things going on with food on the west side. And so we used our booth to promote that this year as part of the Jamboree. Now, how did the Atlanta Community Food Bank come to be involved with the the Atlanta Beltline and especially the Washington Park Jamboree? Yes. um, So I am responsible for um, piloting and um, start uh, helping to start a program called Georgia Food Oasis. Mm -hmm. Um, We piloted it for the first couple of years in the neighborhoods closest to the food bank. Um, We wanted to see if it was possible uh, to, instead of coming into a neighborhood that would be typically described as a food oasis, I mean, sorry, as a food desert, um, to come in, ask the neighborhood what it is they would like to see with regards to fresh and healthy foods, um, and how could we help them put together pieces to make that happen using other partners, partners, businesses, the residents themselves, because we feel like the best ideas about how to solve what's going on in your neighborhood is by the people that live there. Um, And so it's not a program that's owned by the food bank. Um, It's meant to be a collaborative effort so that we could all sort of work together um, and strategically plan out stuff together. Um, And so it's grown since then. Um, Right now, I still concentrate on the city of Atlanta and Georgia Organics is rolling it out statewide. So they have a program going in Savannah, Augusta and northeast Georgia. Um, And so we've moved into some other parts of the city um, and we look forward to working in other areas to help um, sort of bring food oasis there. And so the food oasis was sort of the entry to the Beltline um, because they're focusing on health and overall wellness. And so we sort of bring in the food piece to that. So now break it down for us. Give us an idea of, of what the day was like. What did what did people do and how well were you guys received? Um, so you never know when you do an outdoor festival, just like how many people will show up. Yeah. I will say that the weather is sort of half the battle. So as long as it looks nice, um, outside, then you definitely bring people out. It's a milder climate day. Last year when we did it, it was in May, so it was a little bit warmer, but I feel like April's a perfect time to do an outdoor festival. Um, and I think being in the afternoon is a little bit different, too. Typically, people feel like you need to start things in the morning, but I think there's something to be said for starting in the afternoon. People are kind of already up and awake. 
Um, it doesn't interfere with kids doing like soccer games and other stuff. Um, or just grown folks who like to sleep later. Right. I was going to say, yeah, you just don't have to get up now for a setup at 6 and 7 a.m. Like setup was at noon. So, you know, you attract a lot more vendors. Um, and as people love it because it's an activity for their kids to do. So it was very kid friendly, family oriented. Um, I will say that we did get a prime time spot. So we were sort of near where people were walking in. Um, and I thought it was very well received. So what we did is we had a lot of um, different um, produce from um, the local growers in the neighborhood. Um, um, who all sort of live and, and grow on the west side. Um, and so we had a description of where it was from in front of the basket. Um, we asked people to give us a little feedback about how they feel about, like, what's the most important thing for their neighborhood and, like, their zip code. And then after then, they were able to go down the table and sort of shop and, like, decide if they wanted some rainbow carrots or some spring onions. Um, we had a lot of herbs there, which people were really excited about, the mint, and we had some ginger. Um, True Living Well did some herb bundles for us. Um, we also had some local honey from JR, um, a local beekeeper in the neighborhood, um, as well as some spices from Gilliam's um, Community Garden. Um, so we had a wide variety for people to choose from, reusable grocery bag. Um, and then they also left with a little card and a map about how they could follow up with the growers, like where the different community gardens and farms are located in the neighborhood. Um, as well as um, how they could find them at markets, like if they wanted to continue to purchase from them throughout the year. Do you get the sense that our community partners over on the Atlanta West side are excited about the transformation that is coming with the expansion of the Atlanta Beltline? Um, I think there are. I definitely still think there's some growth to be done um, in the area because I think people are distracted by some other things that go over on the West side, like with the stadium and other stuff. And so um, I think people maybe see some parts of the Beltline as less invasive, like it's still being built. Um, and some people may not have visited the east side side of the Beltline yet to sort of see like how this has transformed what it is. Um, but I think it could uh, be a very positive thing and a great way of introducing people to just sort of outdoors and the connectivity of what it will bring. Um, just from even being going from my side of the neighborhood to the other side uh, of the West Side Beltline where there's a Beltline farm and like how neat that will be that you can like bike and get over to that side faster than you could drive. Um, I definitely think that it opens up a new world for people. So, What do you see as the greatest benefit of your work, especially with the Atlanta Community Food Bank, being involved with the, the Beltline Partnership. And will you guys be back for the uh, Washington Park Jamboree in 2017? Um, I think our greatest sort of role is ensuring that sort of all levels of people are represented. So I sort of take the philosophy with, with Food Oasis and other projects. My job is not per se to sort of chastise or become the food police to eating, getting people to eat better. I feel like there's a pre-step and the pre-step is that I would like for everyone to have the power of the same choice. Um, and some people don't realize that people's choice is limited by where you are surrounded. Even if you want to make better choices, if you don't have those options available to you, then, you know, your choices are limited as to how much better they could be. And so that's what I feel like our job is is to be improving that so that regardless of zip code, you can eat well everywhere. And so I feel like the food bank being at the table as well as Food Oasis just sort of ensures that like the Beltline serves all levels of population. Like it just doesn't become um, sort of a hierarchy tool of, of gentrification and people of a certain level benefit from it, but sort of all people see the benefits of it. And then just in general, overall, like improved access to things dealing with public transportation is a really big need in the city and for us. So as a nonprofit, it makes us somewhat inefficient in our work because we have to duplicate services a lot because people can't get to them. So anything that 
improves that and people being able to get to the services makes us just more efficient in our work overall. And any day you can educate a community about making better choices and then showing them where they can go and, and execute that decision has got to be a good day. Yes, excellent. Yeah, because it's, it's one thing that I can't just keep going out and talking about. There has to be something visual there for people to be able to do. If you'd like them to like really adopt it and maintain it in their lifestyle, then it needs to be very easy for people to access. All righty, Cicely Garrett, the Food Systems Innovation Manager at the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Folks want to help out with you or want to get involved, how do they contact you? Uh, yes, so they can always visit us on Facebook and Twitter, of course, um, at Georgia Food Oasis. Um, we have a webpage, um, georgiafoodoasis.com, or they could always just reach out to us at um, Atlanta Community Food Bank. Good enough. Thanks so much. Thank you. And now, if you will, a personal moment. I cannot end the program today without a word about the icon, the legend, the musical genius who was Prince. As you know, Prince died Thursday at his home in Minneapolis. Now, I had a chance to go to Paisley Park last summer with some journalism friends of mine. We didn't know whether or not he was going to perform. We had hoped that he would, but instead he just wanted to talk. He wanted to talk about the music business and the issues in the news. He talked about Freddie Gray and Baltimore. He talked about his album, Hit and Run, that they gave us after the show last Thursday night. And in the end, it was just his DJ, a dance party, Paisley Park after dark. So when word came a couple of weeks ago that the piano and microphone tour would stop at the Fox Theater, I knew I was going. My friends and I had planned to go to the late show at 10 o'clock, just hoping that he'd play a little bit longer or that we'd get word of where the after party was. He did play longer, and there were three encores, just Prince at a purple baby grand piano bathed in purple light. We had no idea that it would be his last public performance ever. Reporters from all over the world have descended upon Minneapolis to cover the story that is the death of the music icon Prince, including our friends over at Entertainment Tonight. On Friday, I talked to co-host Nancy O'Dell. What do you think the legacy will be? How do you think he will be remembered? Oh, I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest musicians of all time, no doubt about that. I think that um, there is no question about that. I think the tributes that are coming in are... uh, you're going to hear it, and I think you're going to hear a lot of the things that he did behind the scenes that I think that he influenced music so much that people don't realize. I think that we do understand how much he did influence music, but I think you're going to be hearing even more about how much he did, but also you're going to hear these little things that he did behind the scenes that you didn't even realize he was doing behind the scenes to help others, and I think a lot of that is going to come out. So I hope it. I hope that, you know, uh, maybe the circumstances surrounding his death will not overshadow all of the good things that he did uh, behind the scenes and how he did. He was such a musical icon. I mean, my goodness, such a musical genius. Nancy O'Dell, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us. Perspectives is a public affairs program produced with you exclusively in mind. If there's a guest or perspective you'd enjoy hearing explored, let me know. Simply write to Perspectives, 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or just message me through the radio station's website. And as always, we can continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Condes Presley. Thanks again for joining us, 
And be sure to join us again next week at this very same time when we will explore a new perspective. Think you better close it. Let me guide you.